0: Let's turn in our Bibles then to Psalm 104. Let's read that psalm together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coveredst it with the deep as with a garment, the waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys, unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil that make his his face to shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey, and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together, and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work, and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them they gather, Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in all his works. He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. The text we consider is verse 27 through 30. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season, that thou givest them they gather, thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good, thou hidest thy face, they are troubled, thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust, thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the believer, like the writer of this psalm, when he looks around him at the world in which he lives, he sees many of the very same things that the unbeliever sees. And the psalmist makes that clear in this psalm when he writes about the many different things that he sees around him in the natural world. The believer and the unbeliever both see the mighty mountains that are there in the world with their majestic snowy peaks, as well as the low-lying valleys covered in grass with the streams and rivers flowing through them. The believer and the unbeliever both see the birds that make their nests high up in the branches of the trees, as well as the cattle that are grazing on a thousand hills. They both see the creatures of the sea, that great and wide sea that the psalmist mentions, with innumerable creatures beneath, small and great. They both see the starry night sky up above, the sun and the moon, the sun as it rises in the east and as it sets in the west, The believer and the unbeliever alike see all of these things. The believer and unbeliever alike also receive many of the riches of the earth. The psalmist mentions the food that God supplies to his creatures. He mentions the wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and the oil that makes his face to shine, and the bread that strengthens man's heart, and both the wicked and the righteous receive these bounties and riches of the earth. But unlike the unbeliever, the believer, as he looks around him and sees all these things, and as he receives these rich gifts from the earth, the believer sees the invisible hand of providence, unlike the unbeliever. The Christian sees, as he looks at the world around him, something that he cannot see with his physical eyes. He sees it with his spiritual eyes, with the eyes of faith. He sees the hand of God. He sees the hand of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, the almighty sustainer of the heavens and the earth, the almighty provider of all good things. He sees the providence of God. And that spiritual act by which the believer acknowledges the unseen God as the fountain and the source of all these good gifts is the very essence of thanksgiving, which is why we're gathered here this morning. The psalmist is giving thanks to God for his providential care over the whole of the creation, He says in verse 1, "I Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. In verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. In verse 31, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. The believer doesn't just know about the providence of God. The believer doesn't just preach the providence of God. The believer doesn't just speak of the providence of God as a theological truth. But the believer speaks to the God of providence. The believer has a relationship with the God of providence. And gives thanks to him in prayer and song throughout his life. In fact, as we see in this psalm, the believer even acknowledges the hand of God when evil things come, when hard times come, when there is suffering and affliction and death. The believer recognizes that this too is included in the scope of God's providence, so that he gives thanks in prosperity, and in adversity. Let's consider the text under the theme, acknowledging God's hand in the cycle of earthly life. Notice that cycle. First, giving food to all creatures. Secondly, taking life from his creatures. And finally, renewing the face of the earth. The psalmist writes in verse 27, These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat, In due season. The psalmist is speaking about all of the creatures that he has listed in this psalm, and he says about all of them that they wait upon the Lord to give them their food in due season. That is, they're waiting for God to bring into their possession the food that they need at just the right time, at that necessary moment, in their hunger and in their thirst in order to nourish and strengthen their bodies so that they can continue to live. Take the Leviathan, for example, which he mentions in verse 26. Having spoken about this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts, he says, There go the ships, and there is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. The Leviathan was a great sea creature that God created in the beginning. And we don't know exactly what it was, but it was evidently a great sea serpent or sea dragon of some kind. It is described in great detail in Job 41, as well as in the book of Isaiah. It's described by God in the book of Job as a great creature that actually breathed forth fire from its mouth, and smoke from its nostrils that was covered in these, this armor of scales that was impenetrable with the arrows and spears and swords of men so that men, when they encountered the Leviathan, were filled with terror and dread. It was a sea monster, great, powerful, and violent, and fearful, And yet the psalmist says about that Leviathan that's playing there in the sea that it also waits upon the Lord to be given its food in due season. This great, this mighty, this fearful creature is still utterly dependent upon Jehovah God because God is able to give an abundance of prey or a scarcity of prey so that Leviathan has plenty to eat or nothing to eat. The Leviathan, too, waits upon the Lord to give him his food. Think of the young lion mentioned in verses 20 through 22. Thou makest the darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. The lion is often called the king of the beasts. It is one of the most majestic and powerful cats in the wild. And it speaks of the lion going forth in the night, in the darkness, chasing after its prey, roaring after it, jumping on it, pouncing on it, digging its claws, and finding its food that night and dragging it into the den to eat. We think of the lion's great power and strength, its agility and its skill in hunting. But the psalmist says the lion too just simply waits upon the Lord to bring him his food. The Lord can bring a bunch of deer into the vicinity of the lion or he can cause that group of deer to go somewhere else. He can give success in the hunt or he can give failure. The lion may leap after the deer and miss or he might pounce upon it. He depends upon the Lord. The psalmist mentions the stork in verses 12 and following. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. Verse 17, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The stork is also a majestic creature. A bird with great skill, the stork can go into the streams and the ponds and with its long beak and its great speed and agility, pounce on the fish in the stream, grab it and have its food. But the stork also waits upon the Lord. Literally, we see the stork standing there in the water, waiting, waiting, waiting for the Lord to bring that fish into reach so that it can have its food. All these creatures wait upon the Lord, and that includes mankind. We also are creatures of great strength and power. Mankind is at the head of the whole of creation, the creature with the greatest intelligence, the greatest resources, the greatest forces and powers, machines, technology. We are able to subdue the creation and... Bring our food out of it, but we ultimately wait upon the Lord. And because we are creatures of higher intelligence, creatures of soul and mind, creatures of thinking and willing, God wants us to wait consciously upon Him. The Leviathan, the lion, and the stork, they wait upon the Lord, but they don't know that they wait upon Him. They're not conscious of the Lord, they're brute beasts. But we human beings know of the Lord. We know of his presence. We know of his power. We know of his providence. And God wants us to consciously wait upon him, to prayerfully wait upon him, to look to him and trust in him for our food. The psalmist continues in verse 28, that thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. The psalmist now speaks of the hand of the Lord, and as you know, that's a common expression in the scriptures. Although God does not have a physical hand like us, God has given us our physical hand as a picture of his hand, his invisible, divine hand, his immaterial hand. The hand of God is the real hand, of which our hands are just a dim reflection The hand of Jehovah is his almighty and everywhere present power, whereby he holds up all of creation, whereby he preserves all creatures, whereby he directs all things and governs all things. In other words, the hand of God is his hidden providence that we have confessed already this morning. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches us that the providence of God is His almighty and everywhere present power, whereby, as it were, by His hand, He governs and preserves all creatures, so that all things come to us, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Whether it's herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches, or poverty. None of these things come to us by chance, but they come to us from the hand of God. And now the psalmist says that God opens his hand. And so that's a figure of speech of God giving to his creatures the things that they need to live, giving to us our food in due season, filling us with good things, satisfying our hunger and our thirst. God opens his hand to the Leviathan, to the lion, and to the stork, and to all the creatures of the world. And does he not also open his hand to you and me? God opens his hands so that the clouds pour down rain upon the earth and replenish the ground with moisture, that life-giving moisture that is necessary for the crops of the field. The Lord opens his hand and shines his sun so that the rays of the sun travel at the speed of light here to the earth and bring the warmth and the heat of the sun as well as the light of the sun that is necessary to warm the ground, to warm the soil, and to give light to the plants of the field. The Lord gives that sunlight and that rain in the correct measure. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but he gives it so that there can be a growing of crops in the field. He does that in the springtime, in the summertime, and in the harvest, so that in the harvest time he opens his hand to us and gives the fruit of the ground, so that the fields are covered with wheat and barley and soybeans and all kinds of grains. So that the vineyards and orchards are full of grapes and olives, so that the fields are full of healthy chickens and turkeys and ducks, poultry, fish, hogs, cattle. And God also holds the reins of the whole economic process, so that from the rays of the sun to the drops of the rain to the field, to the shipping of goods here and there, to manufacturing plants, to The grocery store, God is sovereign over it all, so that the grain becomes bread, the grapes become wine, the olives become oil, and all of the produce of the earth turns into food for man and beast. And there it is, available on the shelves at the local grocery store and in the refrigerators when we go into the grocery store and we walk down the aisles and we see all these foods on the shelves and we see all of these foods in the refrigerators, we as Christians should be consciously thinking and seeing there before our eyes God opening his hand and saying, here is your food. Furthermore, God opens his hand and gives to us the means of obtaining that food. Because if you go into the grocery store with nothing in your pockets, it doesn't do you any good. But the Lord also opens his hand and gives to us the means of purchasing that food, of obtaining that food for ourselves. He gives to us our life. He gives to us our health and our strength so that we're able, as the psalmist speaks in verse 23, to get up in the morning, to get out of bed, to go to work to work with our hands the thing that is good, and to earn an income. God gives us that job. God gives us that education. God gives us those opportunities and those experiences so that we're able to develop our skills and we're able to have this job or that job, this advancement or that one. All of those things are good gifts from God. When you receive your paycheck each week or each month and you tear it open, and you take out the check, you should be seeing there before your eyes the open hand of God giving you the means of obtaining your food. When your boss calls you into his office and tells you he's going to give you a a pay raise or he's going to give you a job promotion, you should see there the invisible hand of providence giving to you good gifts. And furthermore, God also gives a very special gift to us, his beloved children. He gives to us something that he does not give to the unbelieving world, to the wicked world. He gives to us also the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so that as we receive those good gifts of God's open hand, we are able to receive them with thanksgiving. Now the world will celebrate Thanksgiving Day just as we do. But the unbeliever does not give thanks to God for the good things that he has. He may give thanks to chance. He may give thanks to luck. He may give thanks to Mother Nature. He may give thanks to the government. He may give thanks to many things, but not to the Lord. God gives to us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us, so that we are able to receive these good gifts by faith and in thanksgiving to God and to God alone. So that, as Paul writes to Timothy, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. We are able by grace through faith to receive every creature of God And not to refuse it, as if the creatures of God are evil in themselves, but to receive it with thanksgiving, because it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What does that mean, that it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer? It means, among other things, that we receive those gifts with thanksgiving, that we acknowledge God as the giver of those good gifts, It means that we have the grace to receive those gifts and to enjoy them in moderation. Not in indulgence, not in drunkenness, not in revelry, but in moderation, unlike the ungodly world. It means that we're able to receive those good good gifts from God, also with contentment. Not with greed and covetousness. Not longing for more and more and more but receiving them with a contented heart that God has given us, our daily bread. That's what it means. So Thanksgiving Day as a Christian is a time for us to pause, to think about all of the many ways God has opened his hands to us, to me personally, to us as a family, to us as a church, and to take a little time to give thanks to him each and every one of those blessings. But the psalmist continues. In verse 29, he says, Thou hidest thy face. They are troubled. Thou takest away their breath. They die and return to their dust. The psalmist speaks here of the face of God. Having spoken of the hand of God, he now speaks of the face of God. And again, God doesn't have a physical face like us, but Our physical faces are a dim reflection of God's face. Our face is the manifestation of our feelings, our attitudes, so that others, when they look at our face, are able to see something of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what is our attitude towards them, whether it is an attitude of favor or displeasure. Whether it is an attitude of joy or anger, the face of the Lord is the manifestation of his favor or his displeasure toward his creatures, so that his creatures come to know that God is favorable toward them or unfavorable. The psalmist says that the Lord hides his face. The Lord puts a veil over his face and shields his face sometimes from his creatures so that they're no longer able to see his face. They're no longer certain about how God feels about them, what God thinks about them. They don't know. They are plunged into a period of perplexity and uncertainty. They're troubled as they experience difficulty and pain and suffering. The Leviathan... As it swims through the ocean, waits upon the Lord, and the Lord brings to him his food in great swarms of fish. But then at other times, the Leviathan finds no fish. The Leviathan begins to starve. It becomes weak and troubled as God hides his face from him. The young lion chases after the deer and receives his food, but then sometimes He can't catch a deer for many days and weeks, and he begins to grow hungry. He becomes sick. He lies down in the bush in the savanna, pining in his suffering. The stork, one way or another, receives a broken wing so that it suffers and it struggles to receive and eat its food. And we also experience all kinds of affliction as human beings. Sometimes the Lord sends us suffering and pain. He sends us all kinds of afflictions of the body, afflictions of the mind, of the soul, so that sometimes we feel as though we can't see God's face. Where is God, we think? Where is he in this moment? Where is he in this situation? I don't know why God is doing this to me. I don't understand his purpose with this suffering. Why is he giving me this trouble? God seems far away. He doesn't seem near. I don't see his smiling face. God hides his face sometimes, and we suffer. And then the psalmist says that God takes away their breath, and they die and return to their dust. God is the one who gives us our breath. The very first breath that we took when we were born as little babies When we cried after we came out of our mother's wombs and we sucked in that air for the first time, God gave that breath to us. And ever since that moment until today, every breath we have taken, God has given to us. We don't think about that very often. As we involuntarily breathe in and breathe out, God is giving that oxygen to us to breathe. And God gives that breath to all of his creatures. But then God takes it away. God takes away the ability to breathe, the ability to inhale the precious life-giving air, and the creature dies. The Leviathan gives up its life and sinks to the bottom of the ocean to a watery grave. The lion breathes its last breath and dies in the savanna. The stork collapses in the wetland and dies and gives up its life. And man also faces that last enemy of death. God has taken away the breath of millions and millions of men and women before us. Since the fall of man into sin, man is born into the world, man breathes, man lives, and man breathes his last breath and dies. Millions upon millions have gone before us and lived their lives. They have breathed and they have given up their breath and died. We've also seen the passing away of our own loved ones, perhaps our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, perhaps a friend, a brother or sister. We've watched them as they've toiled in their sickness and as they've breathed their last breath. And we know that we also face the last enemy. We know that God will one day take away our breath, and we will return to the dust. And perhaps we ask ourselves, why does the psalmist bring this up in this otherwise pleasant and beautiful and wonderful psalm? Why in this meditation on the wonderful, marvelous, providential care of God does he make us think about death? Well, the psalmist recognizes, and so does every believer, that even the greatest sufferings and afflictions and even death itself is not excluded but included in the scope of God's providence. God's providence covers and includes all things as we've confessed, not just fruitful years but also barren years, not just riches but poverty, not just health but also sickness, not just life but also death. The psalmist does not shrink away from the hard things, the painful things of life, the darkest things. And the psalmist is able to bring up these painful realities because he has hope. You sense, you feel the hopefulness of the psalmist throughout the whole psalm. He's filled with joy even though he's aware of these realities He's filled with joy and thanksgiving to God, blessing the Lord his God as long as he has life, he says, even though he knows that one day he will die. And we have even greater hope. We who live in these last days, because we know the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world, who suffered and died and rose again. We have hope because God hid his face from Jesus on the cross God shielded and veiled his face of love and good pleasure toward his Son on the cross. He did not cease loving Jesus on the cross, but he veiled, he hid his face so that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of his agony and bitter affliction, did not see, did not know the love and favor of God, but rather was filled with trouble and distress and perplexity as he bore our sins and suffered the wrath of God until at last he cried out, My God, my God, why? Why? And God took away his breath, and he gave up the ghost, and laid down his life, and died for us. But Christ's death is not a cause of despair, but rather it is the victory and the salvation of us, his people. The death of Christ is the death of death, The death of Christ is victory over death because he rose from the dead. On the third day, he arose with victory and life everlasting. And now he gives that to us as believers in this world. He gives us now already that everlasting life so that we're able not only to look around us and see the beauties of the creation, the goodness of God, the riches and the bounties that he bestows upon us, but we're also able to stare into the face of death itself and say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The victory is in Jesus Christ our Lord, and thanks be to him for that unspeakable gift. Because we are in Christ Jesus by faith, we know that all things are for us and nothing is against us. All things belong to us because we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Nothing can separate us from his love, but all things work together for our good. And that's why we're able to give thanks even in the midst of affliction. We're able to give thanks for all things and in all things, as the Apostle exhorts us to do in Ephesians 5 verse 20. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that God will turn all things, even pain and suffering and evils, to our advantage. As he brings us through our pilgrim's journey to our heavenly home. Finally, we notice that the psalmist speaks of God's renewal of the creation. Verse 30, Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. And thou renewest the face of the earth. The psalmist shows us that there is a cycle in earthly life. He has spoken of that cycle. And as I said in the introduction, even the unbeliever can see that there is a, a cycle in the world. There is a cycle of life and death and renewal. But only the believer can see that God, in his providence, is the one who carries forth that cycle. The psalmist speaks of the fact that God opens his hand and gives life. That God closes his hand and takes life away. And then he sends his spirit and renews the face of the ground. The Lord does all of that. He sends forth his spirit. The Holy Spirit. Just as he did in the beginning. You remember in Genesis 1 we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. In the very beginning of the world, God sent forth his Spirit to put into, to instill into the creation the stuff of life, so that the Spirit is the one who puts into the creation all of the ingredients of life, and who brings forth life out of the earth. And then from the creation of the world throughout all time, God, by his providence, continues to send forth his spirit into the creation to give life and to renew life in the cycle of the earth. We see that cycle all around us in the spring, in the summer, in the fall. In this time of year, the leaves are changing color, Orange, yellow, and red, and brown, and finally they all fall to the ground, and the trees are left bare and dead. They're plunged into the winter season, and they're cloaked with snow and ice, so that all of life is hidden under the cold. But God then sends forth His Spirit, and the Spirit melts the snow and the ice, so that the waters flow again in the rivers and streams. The grass sprouts in the ground. The leaves poke forth on the branches, the blossoms and the flowers appear. Thy Spirit, O Lord, makes life to abound. The earth is renewed and fruitful the ground. The Holy Spirit is the one who, after a time of famine and pestilence and shortage, again renews the economy, rejuvenates the economy, so that once again there are jobs, there is a way to earn an income, The Holy Spirit is the one who, after the death of the Leviathan, the lion and the stork, causes the mother Leviathan to bring forth a little one, the mother lion to bring forth a little cub, and the mother stork to bear an egg that hatches into a little chick. The Holy Spirit is always the one causing life to abound. We humans eventually pass away. But the spirit brings conception in the womb and brings forth a little baby to renew our joy and to fill us with happiness and reason for thanksgiving. There's a cycle in earthly life. And God, through the spirit, is the one renewing the earth. Finally, that cycle is a picture of a bigger and more significant cycle. It's the cycle of creation, fall, redemption. God began that cycle in the beginning when he created a perfect, beautiful, glorious world. When he filled the world with life, bursting with life, animal life, plant life, human life. There was no threat and no danger on the horizon. But man, by his sin, fell and brought the curse of death upon the world, filling it with suffering and affliction and pain. But God graciously sent his own Son into the world to redeem the creation, to reconcile all things to himself through the blood of the cross, and to bring forth out of the old human race a new human race, to bring forth a church, to dwell with him forever. Christ, through his death and resurrection, has renewed us. He has renewed us not just with life, but with everlasting life. And when he raises our bodies, he will not just restore us to life, but he will give us that higher and more glorious everlasting life in body and soul in the new creation. So do we not have reason for thanksgiving? Do we not have many reasons, even far beyond the food on our tables, the clothes on our back, the roof over our heads, and all of the earthly gifts God has given? We have many reasons to give thanks. And the psalmist teaches us to sing to the Lord. Considering all these things, where does it all lead? It all leads to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. And the final verses of the psalm. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, truly thou art great, clothed with honor and majesty. We thank thee for the eyes to see thy invisible hand at work in all the creation. Father, forgive us when we have failed to see it, when we have failed to be thankful failed to worship thee, when we have thought that things come to us by chance or from nature. And we pray, Father, strengthen our faith so that we will see when we go to the grocery store, when we go to work, when we receive our income, thy hand opening up to us and giving us the things necessary. And above all, that great salvation